this message. Father God, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, to challenge us, and to convict us. Fathers, we've come into this place, Lord. We pray that we would not leave here the same. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, here we are, Second Samuel. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 2. We're going to get through a big portion of Scripture today. Forgive me for not being able to say all these names. They're just hard names. All right, so 2 Samuel chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 12. It says, Now Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from that place to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down, one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. Then Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. So they arose and went over by number, 12 from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 from the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in the opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called the Field of Sharp Swords, which is in Gibeon. So there was a very fierce battle that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Verse 18, now the three sons of Zeruri over there, Joab and Abishai and Asahel, and Asahel was a fleet of, was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. He was a fast dude. So Asahel pursued Abner, and in going, he did not turn to the right hand or to the left from falling Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, are you Asahel? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, turn aside to your right hand or to your left. And lay hold on one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. So Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of his spear, so that the spear came out of his back, and he fell down there and died on the spot. So it was that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died stood still, Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner, and the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Ammah, which is before Gia on the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became a unit and took their stand on top of the hill. Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter until the latter end? How long will it be until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren? And Joab said, As God lives, unless you have spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. So Joab blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they fight anymore. Then Abner and his men went on all that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan, and went through all Bithron, and they came to Mahanaim. So Joab returned from pursuing Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing David's servants, 19 men in Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men, 360 men who died. Then they took up Asahel and burned him, excuse me, buried him in his father's tomb, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at daybreak. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker." It's quite a story, man. Um, I'm always interested when you say the Bible's boring. Uh, like if you haven't read this thing. So part of the backdrop of this story, and just let me go back a little bit uh, to bring you up to speed. Uh, there was a guy named Saul who became king of Israel. And all through 1 Samuel, we talked about how Saul was king, but he turned out to be a bad king. God said, Saul, you're not going to be king. So then he said, you're going to make David king. And so the backdrop to this story in the beginning of 2 Samuel 
excuse me, is that this guy Abner, after Saul died, David should have become king, but Abner took it upon himself to make Ishbosheth king over Israel because Ishbosheth was Saul's son. And so Abner defiantly decided and said, you know what, let's, let's continue the line of Saul and make Ishbosheth king. So he made him king over Israel. The tribe of Judah was like, no, 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 that's not what God's doing. We're going to make David king. And so this right here becomes the fight that happens after this division between Israel and Judah, where one group is like, we're continuing the line of Saul. And one group says, Saul is done. We're going on with King David. <clears throat> and so throughout this story, we see um, Abner and uh, Joab stand together and they say, uh, let's have 12 guys from either side and we're going to have them fight. And they fight in such a way that actually they spear each other and they both die at the same time. So like 24 dudes die. And then this other guy, uh, Asahel, goes on to pursue Abner to try to kill Abner. And Abner's like, what are you doing? Quit following me. And Asahel's like, dude, I'm trying to kill you. And so then he kills Asahel. And then uh, th this whole thing just becomes a, a war between Joab and Abner and Ishbosheth and all these guys are just kind of in a fury. And this is the beginning of a seven-year civil war. So as a pastor, when you, when you come to these portions of Scripture, like, how do, you, how do you take a sermon about war, death, and destruction and make it seem like there's something good in there and something we can take from it? Um, now, I'll tell you a little pastor trick is that you go, you read commentaries, and then if you're really stuck, you go and try to find other sermons that other people have preached about it and kind of get inspired. I couldn't find a sermon that anybody had ever preached on this thing because <laughs> it's just like, just flip the page, just keep going like this. Let's get to David and Bathsheba. You know what I mean? Like that's what guys want to do. So, I, uh, you know, in, in the midst of turkey and mashed potatoes, I found a way to pull something out of this. So let's just walk through it together. Amen. Uh, the, the title that I came up for today's sermon is the four D's of blood. Why? Because I believe that there's four little uh, things in this, in this story that are bloody parts of the story. Um, as I kind of stepped back and looked at it, there was four D words that kind of go in it. So I just thought it'd be I don't know. I didn't know what else to call it. I, I thought thrusting him through with the spear and having it coming out the back wasn't a very catchy title. So um, we'll go through. Now, as we go through, I'm, I'm not going through it in order. We're just pulling parts out of the story and just kind of throwing it together like a salad to consume. Amen? All right, so let's get into the first one. The first one is the blood of defiance. The blood of defiance. Now, defiance starts in the heart, and it's the desire of the individual. And so, in this story, we see this gentleman, Abner, and Abner's disobedience and his defiance against God cost other people his, uh, their lives. Abner defiantly, rebelliously decided to make Ishbosheth king over Israel when that wasn't what God was doing. God had ended the line of Saul and said, Now David's going to be king. But Abner walked in disobedience, defiance, and rebellion. Verse 31, but the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men, 360 men who died. That's at the end of the story. And so we see that these 360 men died, but also I think it was 19 of David's men died, but also the 24 men that died when the 12 by 12 went with each other. This is all at the hands of Abner. It was Abner's defiance that, that produced this type of outcome within this story. This never should have happened, but the collateral damage of Abner caused other people's problems in their lives. This rebellion produced bloody death. He wanted Ishbosheth to be king instead of David, and in the end, hundreds of people died. 
See, what Abner didn't realize is that his own defiance and his own rebellion was going to affect other people's lives. Oftentimes, people act in rebellion or defiance and think, well, I'm the only one that's being defiant. I'm the only one that's being rebellious. When the reality is there's always collateral damage to rebellion. Because rebellion never affects the individual. It always affects the people that are around them. Proverbs 17.11 says, Evildoers foster rebellion against God. The messenger of death will be sent against them. Friend, the Bible is clear. You will reap what you sow. You cannot sow rebellion and expect to uh, sow blessings. It just doesn't work that way. Our God is a God of order. Our God is a God of rules. And if you defy what God is asking you to do, you can't expect that good things are going to happen in the midst of your life. You would think that after Abner saw 12 of his men die together with Joab's men, that him and Ishbosheth would have relented and repented. They, <coughs> after that first uh, interaction, they should have been like, man, this wasn't good. Like, this is bad. Let's, come on, let's make David king. Ishbosheth was not supposed to be king. But here's what happened in this story, is that the spirit of rebellion upon Saul carried on into his son and into his leader. Abner was the leader of Saul's army. And so Saul's rebellion produced rebellion because he was in rebellion. And, and, and it happens in our lives as well. Uh, 1 Samuel 15, 23, uh, 23 says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you've rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. And this is being spoken about King Saul. And again, the the parallel that I'm showing you here, and I hope you're seeing it, Saul walked in rebellion. So his son and his leaders walked in rebellion and produced destruction because of their rebellion. God never blesses rebellion. This story has seeds of rebellion at its foundation and core, and it will never be blessed. A rebellious child can never receive the blessing of their parents. If you're a parent and you have a rebellious child that you bless, you are not doing them any favors because they're continue to live in rebellion because they feel as though, well, I'm living my way in defiance to God and my parents. There's a reason why God made uh, of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother because he wants to teach children uh, uh, order and, and, and not being rebellious through their parents so they won't be rebellious towards God. But parents give their kids everything that they want in, in, in spite of their rebellion and think that somehow their kids are going to magically serve God when the parent relationship between children becomes a picture of people between them and God. That's why the story of the prodigal son is such a, a huge story that people like to use because <clears throat> if you don't know the story of the prodigal in the New Testament, Jesus told the story of a man whose son was rebellious and went away, took, a, took his inheritance. And, and the father never chased down the rebellious son. He let him go live in his rebellion until he came to the point of admitting his rebellion to his father and say, you know what, father, I've sinned against you and God. Will you receive me back? And the father says, yes, I will, because you've come to the reality of knowing that your rebellion was on you. What does it mean to us? What does it mean to you? Where's the rebellion in your life? See, the problem with rebellion is that it's easy to see in others and hard to see in ourselves. If I asked you, say, hey man, can you think of a rebellious person? You're like, yes. And I say, can you identify, uh, identify some rebellion in your own life? You're like, oh, let me pray about that. Because what happens is, is that we, we judge our rebellion based on our actions and not on the intentions of our hearts. 
So when, I, when someone says, hey man, where's the rebellion in your life? You're like, well, look at all this outside stuff that I do. I'm clearly not in rebellion when the rebellion that is to be found is within our hearts. It's within our hearts and our minds and our intents and our desires. See, God looks past the actions and looks into the heart. It's the story of 1 Samuel where people, God even said, don't consider his height or his appearance for these are the things that man looks at. Look at his heart because he was talking about David because David on the outward didn't even look like a king, but on the inside he was of a king because he had the right heart. Rebellion's no different. Oftentimes the rebellion that we talk about, we never look at the inside. We always look at the outside and we judge our actions. It's the uh, same story in the New Testament. Where Jesus said two men went up to pray and one man said, you know, I do all this holy stuff. You know, I pray, I tithe, and do all these other things. The other man says, had mercy on me, a, a sinner. And Jesus said, this man will go home justified before God instead of this man. Because he knew the intents of his heart. He wasn't using the external to justify the internal. The scariest thing about people is that we can hide the desires of our hearts from everybody. No one sees the, int- uh, the intent of the heart. Nobody sees what's going on in your mind and your heart. And so you can make everything on the outside look good. On the inside, be as a whitewashed tomb. But the Holy Spirit says, you want, you've got to look inside of yourself. Find those seeds of rebellion and rip them out. Because if you do not rip them out, they will produce crops of bloody rebellion. Psalm 68, 6, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. It's a bad place. You don't want to live there. If you've got rebellion in your heart, root it out. Yes. And it's very easy to know how you have rebellion. Is, are the heart, is your heart's intent line up with God's word? Yes. Some of y'all are like, can you go back to preaching about money? <laughs> The reason, why, the reason why I know that you've got rebellion in your heart is because I have rebellion in my heart. My, my heart is not 100% pure. I wish it was. But I know in the deep places you don't talk about at parties. Such an old reference. You need me on that wall. So I, I, there is. There's still seeds of rebellion. You know, when I was in college, I, um, I worked in a library if you want to punish me, put me in a library because I can't talk. Like I, I was in there for months. Uh, <laughs> they were going from Dewey Decimal to barcode because they had these new things called computers. And uh, so for hours, I would sit in the basement of the library at Seattle Pacific and change out barcodes. It's like death by a thousand cuts. <laughs> Just uh, like I was dying. So then I got promoted to bathrooms. And uh, I tell you, I mean, it was a lot more social. You know, you're in there and all your buddies are in there in the dorms. And they're like, hey, what's going on? You're like, hey, you know. Um, and I did very well at bathrooms. And so then I got promoted from bathrooms to stairwells in the dorms. I mean, this, I'm a mover. I make things happen. <laughs> and uh, so I was in this dorm. It had six floors. And the six floors had, I think there was four stairwells. And so what happened was, is it bathrooms, it's very clear to see if a bathroom's clean or not. And if you've got 40 dudes going through a dorm bathroom, that thing gets dirty quick. Our dorm had uh, elevators, and so p- kids are lazy, and so they use the elevators more than the stairwells. So after a few months of sweeping stairwells and cleaning out garbage cans, it was abundantly clear that this thing was not getting dirty enough every single day to necessitate me cleaning the stairwells repeatedly. So I did what any good college st- student would do is I found the other guy that was working in the dorms and you'd find him on the sixth floor about halfway through our shift watching Sports Center. And uh, 
You know, I, here's the thing, man. I mean, I was doing my job and this guy wasn't. And he didn't seem to have a problem with me leaning on my broom watching Sports Center with him. And nor did as we stood in the six-story uh, lounge looking down the hill uh, on the side of Queen Anne that we also could see our boss whenever he was walking up the hill. So he kept one eye out the window, one eye on da -da 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 -da, right? I mean, you just kind of watched the both of them. And one time we actually got caught by our boss. And the saddest part about it was is he didn't even care. Because there was rebellion in his heart. Then the guy rebellion in his heart. And I just kind of fell into that rebellion as well. To not sweep the stairwells. That's brooms, folks. It's stairwells and minimum wage at college. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 9, 7, Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place. You have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more so does God get upset when we're actually rebellious in our hearts? I don't think God appreciates you not doing your job that you're getting paid for either. And that probably applies to some of you at work that hide behind something so you don't have to do your work. But even more so, the rebellion in our hearts is a bad thing. Amen? Amen. The Old Testament is full of stories of rebellion and the fruit of it and how we should destroy it in our lives. That's why the Old Testament is still so powerful for today is that we can look at it and see how we shouldn't be like the people of Israel. The second D is the blood of division. See, division is the fruit of defiance. Yeah. When you walk in defiance and rebellion, it produces division. Yeah. Rebellion within yourself breeds division with others. Why? Because people that do not want to be rebellious do not want to hang out with people that are rebellious. Yeah. But even a rebellious person can't walk in unity with another rebellious person because the two are rebellious. And so all it does is create problems. It creates issues. It creates fighting. Abner and Joab are watching these two guys, 12 by 12, they're fighting. And it's actually symbol, symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Um, a, a, a good tribe, bad tribe, that's why it's 12 by 12. It's not 13, it's not 11, it's 12 by 12. It says in verse 16, And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side, and they fell down together. No one even wins when there's division. They fought each other, and they both thrust each other, and they both died. No one even won in the battle. It wasn't like this one rose up over this one. It's saying, you know what? When you have division and, 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 and these problems, you can't find unity. Everybody loses. Everybody loses in division. Ishbosheth was never intended to be king. Saul in 1 Samuel lost the right to kingship. And upon his death, Abner took it upon himself to make Ishbosheth his son, Saul's, uh, Saul's successor and king over Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, But Abner the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth the son of Saul and brought him over to Mahanaim. And that's Abner making Ishbosheth king on his own. The men of Judah made David king because they knew that he was the rightful king and that the line of Saul was supposed to die, but Abner was not seeing it that way. See, Saul was told he was not going to be king in 1 Samuel thirteen fourteen. <coughs> it says, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a 
man after his own heart, David, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And this fight caused a rift in the nation of Israel, and some followed Israel and Ishbosheth, and some followed David in the kingdom of Judah as the rightful king. And this fight causes a seven-year civil war with Ishbosheth that will end with his with his assassination, which we'll get to eventually. But we actually begin to see the heart of David even in Ishbosheth's assassination. Eventually, Israel actually does split after King Solomon with Rehoboam, and it goes kingdom of Judah, kingdom of Israel, and and then that's a whole other story. But it's division. It's self-seeking. It's going against God's plan. God places kings, and David was the rightful king. Abner wanted the house of Saul to continue, and so he made Ishbosheth king on his own. And now this battle, we see the fruits of this division. The fruits of this division are destruction, bloodiness. There's no unity in it at all. Folks, when you, when you have defiance in your heart that breeds rebellion, and rebellion breeds division, the only outcome of that is bloodshed and destruction. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about coming out of Thanksgiving weekend where you could tell me stories about your family, where there's people in your family that haven't talked for years over nonsense and it's produced nothing good. Divided Thanksgivings that have been that way for years because so-and-so got upset with so-and-so. Self-seeking has been around for a long time. What does it mean to you? What seeds of division are you allowing in your life? What selfish motives are you working towards to get what you want in your life at the expense of others? Because rebellion always produces division and it brings others along with you. See, the, the, the biggest lie of sin is that sin is in myself and I can contain it within myself and it won't affect others. But the destruction of your family and the destruction of your friends comes at the cost of the sin and rebellion within your own lives. It only produces death. That's all sin can produce. There's countless scriptures about unity in the New Testament. First Corinthians 1.10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Folks, that spirit of division is in the Old Testament and it's in the New Testament as well. And even to today, the root is always the same. Self. That's, that's why Jesus wants us to die to self because self-seeking, self-serving never produces righteousness in the kingdom of God. It's impossible. It just can't. God will never, never bless rebellion ever. It comes down to power and alliances and it ruins relationships. Now, those of you, uh, nobody that was in first service, because I know that some of the worship teams will play my game here for a minute. I always say, I always say rhetorically, who's heard of? And then all the first service people are like, eh. those of you that are here for your first service, albeit a few minutes late, who knows who Adolf Dassler is? Anybody know who Adolf Dassler is? Okay. All right. Rudolf Dassler. Anybody know who Rudolf Dassler is? These were brothers, man. Adolf and Rudolf. Sounds like a couple of Santa's reindeers, right? Adolf and Rudolf. And they lived in a town called Herzogenrock. Herzogenrock, Germany. Anybody heard of this town? It's a very interesting town because these two brothers together, uh, this was the birthplace of their little fledgling company called Sportfarbrick Gebruder Dossler. It's a shoe company. 
was a shoe company and they started in 1927. They were two brothers and they had about 12 employees. The, 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 the first pair of shoes that Adolf made was in his mother's laundry room and then he brought his brother along and they started making shoes. Well, some t- somehow back in the 20s, um, maybe 30s, these, these brothers, Adolf and Rudolf, got into a fight over something. To this day, nobody knows what they got into a fight over, but you can still go to Herzog Generoc in Germany, and the seeds of this division are still known in this town. Because when these two brothers broke up and said, we're no longer going to work together to make these shoes, they, they actually split in such a way that nobody went to the same stores, nobody went to the same butcher, nobody went to the same anything. It, just, it split the town side by side. And even now, decades later, 80, 90 years later, the mayor of the town said in this article that I read, he said, this is the town of the downward gaze. Because when you meet someone, you look down at their shoes to know which side of the argument that they're on decades later. Families will not interact with each other. They will not marry within each other. If you're from the line of Adolf or if you're from the line of Rudolf, nary the two shall meet. Real story. One of the shoe companies, Adolf, was Adidas. Adidas. The other shoe company is Puma. Yes, this is a real story. Puma and Adidas were started by two brothers that got in a fight and they never were going to work with each other. And so they continue, the family still continue to fight to this day. Just think about uh, Adidas and, and, and Puma, if they wouldn't have fought, probably could have taken the market from Nike long before Nike ever even shown up. They're fighting with each other. Nike's over here like, check me out. More people wear Nikes than Adidas or Puma. Do you guys pick up what I'm mopping, what I'm, what I'm laying down? You see the seeds of division and rebellion and what they produce? Years past the initial division. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Folks, division starts with us. Find a way for unity. Kingdoms and shoes have divided over it. Jesus uh, desires unity for his people, not division. Destroy rebellion, destroy division. Third D is devotion, the blood of devotion. Now, devotion is the intent of the heart, and it's interesting. Uh, Devotion is actually not really the opposite, but it's uh, devotion can't act uh, with defiance. They're kind of can't walk in unity. So you get uh, defiance out of your heart and put devotion in your heart, and all of a sudden God can do great things in that. Amen? Now, some blood is destruction, but some blood is life. It's the reason why we say this person's my blood, or this person's my blood brother, because some blood is good blood. Amen? So in verse 24, it says, Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner, and the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Amah, which is before Gia, uh, by the road of the wilderness to Gibeon. How many of you that have been around remember the sermon about Abishai from a few months ago? Uh, you can go back and listen to it. Abishai was the guy at the end of 1 Samuel that when David was being pursued by Saul and they had a chance to go down and kill Saul, Abishai was the one that was there with David and said, I'll go kill Saul. And David said, don't kill Saul. He's God's anointed. And here we find Abishai again, like willing to kill for David. You can't get rid of this guy. Abishai was David's cousin. 
He's, a, he's, a, he's blood, and, and, and somewhere in Abishai's life, he made a decision to say, I'm going to be there for David, I'm going to follow him, and I will do whatever it takes to make sure that David is going to be king. So far that <coughs> in this story, he goes and pursues Abner. Now, let's set aside for a minute whether or not Abishai should be killing Abner, okay? Let's... It's a different sermon into itself. What I really like is sometimes somebody can be doing something wrong, but have the right idea about it. Right? His heart was, man, I'm taking care of my king. Abner's the one that's keeping my guy from being king. I'll just kill him. We'll take him and Ishbosheth out of the way. And then David will be king. And it cost him his life. I mean, he, he pursued Abner to the point where Abner, and then it says that, he, remember earlier in the story, it said that he, had, he was as fast as a gazelle, gazelle intense. And it cost him his life. He was pursuing so hard that it actually cost him his life. He was committed to the cause. Numbers 30, verse 2, it says, When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything that he has said. Somewhere Abishai made a commitment to God, man. How beautiful it is that he made this commitment and he meant to see it through. Isn't there something special about people that keep their vows? It's admirable. And many of you people have people in your life that if they say to you, hey man, I'll be there, you know they ain't going to be there. You know it, man. And there's people that say, man, I'll be there. And you're like, dude, I know they will. You don't have to follow up with them. You don't have to call them the next day. There's some people in your life that you have to call them, text them, and then go pick them up and make sure that they're there. You guys have people like this that you know? Don't be that guy. The Bible says in Psalm 116, 14, (coughs) I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all of his people. Bless God, we were able to, uh, by the grace of God, buy this building back in 2014. I remember we had gotten into the building and it was a miracle that we got in there, get, got in here. It seems like so long ago that it happened. I remember we had been in the building for like a month or probably a month or so. And the old pastor, we had bought this church from a Russian Baptist and uh, pastor Igor calls me and he says, Hey man, I, I need to send some guys down to your church. And I was like, for what? And he was like, Oh, there's, there's something that's unfinished that needs to be done. And I was like, bro, you bought the we bought it. Like, we're done. Like, the deal's closed. Like, you guys have, you're, you've moved forward. We're here. And he goes, no, 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 that's not how we operate. He said, in, in the house over here in the bathroom, there was this little, like, two by three section of tile that was unfinished. I didn't even notice it. I mean, the, all the tile work the guys did in this building is just beautiful. The, the thing was, is that they knew that they hadn't finished the job, and these men wanted to come down into the church and finish it to God's glory. They, 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 they weren't going to, they weren't going to leave it undone. Even after the deal had been closed, we've been forward. These gentlemen said, you know what? I started this tile job. I'm going to finish this tile job to the Lord. Very small, small action with a very big sermon inside of it. I don't know anybody that after, it's like, it's like selling a car and then hunting the person down and filling up the tank. Like it just doesn't make any sense unless you're a person of your word until you're, unless you're a person of commitment. What does it mean to you? What is in your heart? What are your desires? Is your desire devotion? Do you wane in your commitments or do you see them through long after you made the decision to do them? See, and, and, and this is the part that people don't understand about the type of preaching that I do here. The, the, the reason why I can preach uh, so close to the heart is because I know my own heart. <laughs> I know the rebellion in my own heart, so I know that you've got it in yours as well. I know that I've wanted to quit on most commitments that I've made in my life, so I would assume that you probably feel that way as well. 
There, there's nothing that I've endeavored in my life that I haven't thought about quitting on. There's for most people, for, the difference between quitters and losers, the quitters think about it, they just don't do it. Yeah, right. Dude, you think I wanted to stay in the military for six years? I wanted to quit, man. It was horrible. I had thoughts of it all the time. Basic, AIT, going on deployments. I'm like, gosh, I, Crystal, roll over me with the car. Like, I just wanted everything to do to get out of it. <laughs> it's a true story. Until yeah. I found out they just send you on a deployment on crutches. I'm like, well, at least I should go with my legs. <laughs> Dude, I want to end my commitment to my wife and my kids, the church. Like, I, uh, like it's part of like living life. And so, like, I just know that that, that goes through my mind. I assume it goes through yours. Yeah. Amen. Please, can I get a witness? But God, you know, according to His Word, says, "You know what, man? That's not what I designed for you. I didn't design you to be a quitter, to wane in your commitments." If you have devotion to God, and, and I tell you, man, if I, if I was not a Christian, I would not be the man that I am today. I would have quit stuff long ago. I don't know what I'd be doing, but I definitely wouldn't be doing this. But except for devotion to God and His change inside of my life, I have to live in devotion to Him. And commitment is costly. Commitment doesn't come easy. Don't think that somebody else is committed that there's some magical commitment fairy that comes by and just pours it in your heart. It's like, it's, a, it's an act of, uh, of the will to say, you know what, I'm going to be, stay committed because God was committed to me. Abishai could have gone back to his old ways. David already shut him down once, but Abishai was like, man, I'm committed to this, man. I'm in. Uh, Luke 9.62, Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Folks, we, sh- we have to be people of our commitments. Yeah. It has to be who we are. It should be our calling card, big or small, to the glory of God. If you are a person that does not keep your commitments, your friends and family are, are hurt yeah. by the way that you live your yeah. life. Yeah. Whether big or whether small, be a person of your word. Be a person that says, man, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And if I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. Jesus kept his word. We should be people of our word. Amen. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, 25, it is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy and afterward to reconsider his vow. This is why I get so uh, upset with people that say God told me and then later on change what they said. Because I say, well, it is not good to devote to something rashly as holy and afterward to reconsider his vow. People say, how do I take the Lord's name in vain? You take the Lord's name in vain when you declare something as being holy and you say something as being of God and God told you. And then later on you go back and then you say, well, God didn't tell me. Well, then you need to stand before God and everybody else and either say that you were a liar or that God was a liar. But don't, do, don't devote to something rashly and then later change what you're going to do. Sorry, it was supposed to be an encouraging part of the sermon. All right. <laughs> Took some NyQuil last night. Here we go. The blood of determination. This is the last blood. The blood of determination. Devotion is an act of the heart. Determination is an act of the head. The thoughts of the mind. Asahel would not give up. Would not give up at all. Verse 21, And Abner said to him, Turn aside your right hand to your left and lay hold on one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And it cost him his life. And you have to admire his courage to pursue Abner and make it right. You've got to admire that. 
See, these guys wanted David to be king because they knew that that's what God wanted for Israel. And, and, and Asahel wanted one kingdom. He didn't want division. He didn't want to, uh, Israel on one side and Judah on the other. He, and so in his mind, however wrong it may be, was like, well, kill the dividers. And all of a sudden we have unity. I don't, I'm not sure that. And, and, and again, I don't want to ruin it because we'll get to the point where actually, no, oh, I'll just give you a little thing. David actually gets upset with these guys for trying to kill Ishbosheth because he still was going to honor God because Ishbosheth was King Saul's son. And so he didn't even want him to assassinate him. Then he ends up killing these guys when they kill Ishbosheth. Because that's the heart of David. David's just like even rebellious line of Saul. I'm still going to honor these guys because he doesn't want to go against God. David's such a great guy. Sorry, I don't mean to ruin the story. But he gets so excited. Proverbs 12, 24. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Friend, when you're determined to see something through to the end, you must be determined. Most things in your life will not come easy to you. I'm sorry, are you guys not living? Like, life's hard. Sometimes it's hard just to respond to the alarm in the morning and force yourselves to get out of bed. Not to mention having to go and and do what it takes to just make the wheels turn of your life. The most surprising thing about adulthood is how much it takes to be an adult. Kids, listen to me. Stay home as long as you can, okay? Don't be in a rush to go and pay your bills. It's not as exciting as you would hope. My son has figured it out. He goes, Dad, I ain't leaving for a long time. Free food and heat. Smart kid. 1 Samuel 20, verse 33, Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to, to kill David. See, David, uh, David experienced the determination of Saul in doing wrong, but Asahel had the determination of doing it right. The same determination Saul had to kill David, Asahel had to kill Abner and would not give up. Defiance or devotion, division or determination, it's your choice If you have determination, there's no division. What does it mean to you? What's in your mind, friend? What do you think about? Like, and and I get it. And and again, it's because I know what it's like in my own mind when I think about stuff and I I allow my mind to think things I shouldn't think that make me want to quit and give up on commitments instead of thinking about the things that God wants out of me that gives me the blood of determination. Don't give up easy. Don't take the easy route. Set your course in Jesus' name and stick with it. Amen? Amen. Jesus was the model for us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, showing us what determination looked like. He never gave up. We should never give up. You determine the path for your life in Jesus, what you will put in your life, what you will take part in. You make that determination to be determined. Amen? Jesus road is the better road with the power of the Holy Spirit on your side. Last verse, Philippians 3.12, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold for me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? I always end every one of our sermons with an invitation to become a Christian. If you're not a Christian and you would like to become one, it's really quite easy. You just have to walk away from your life and walk towards Jesus. And if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus before, you've never made that decision, you just have to make a a decision to say, you know what, I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to be set free from the law of sin and death. 
And if you've never made that decision before and you'd like to do it for the first time, we want to pray with you this morning. I just ask that you'd raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to live for Jesus. I want to be forgiven of my sins. Is there anybody that needs to make that decision for the very first time? Hand held high. I always like to ask if people have been far from God and you've been waiting for a moment to rededicate your life to Him, we want to pray with you as well. You're not far from God. He's right behind you. You just have to turn around, fall into His arms. You may have forgotten him, but he has not forgotten you. He's been pursuing you. If you need to come back to Jesus today, you'd like to make that decision, would you raise your hand right now? We want to pray for you as well. Is there anybody that needs to do that? Thank you, Jesus. I don't know what the Lord spoke to you this morning. I don't know which which D spoke to you. Defiance, determination, devotion, division. If you need more of something, ask for it. If you need less of something, ask for it. Watch what the Holy Spirit will do in your life. Father, we pray that we would live lives that are pleasing to you, God. That we would never forget that this life is not about us, but it's about you. Thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.